Hey there, welcome to the show, and happy Thanksgiving. Well, you know what, I'm not going to think that there's too many open houses today, but you never know, maybe a family's going out for a walk, checking out a new place, and why not? You know what, it is the fall, we do have a real estate market going, but um, before we start talking about that, I am going to bring Dave Butler in, he's joining me in the studio today, we are going to talk about the real estate market, what's happening there and as well, uh, I've got another guest joining me uh, a little bit later on in the hour. I've got Richard Lyle uh, going to be joining me. He is the president of ResCon, the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. And uh, Richard's been on the show before. Uh, looking forward to having him back. It's going to be quite awesome. And by the way, boy, do we ever have a packed month here with the Simple Investor. And uh, to, to start off, next Sunday, that's right, this is next Sunday, the Property Show. Um, I'm going to be one of the featured speakers. Uh, they reached out, said, "Hey, Todd, you know, uh, you want to talk in the main stage?" So that is Sunday, October the fifteenth, at the International Center. I'm going to be there. If you want tickets and info, go to thepropertyshow.ca. Use the promo code TPS2023 for a complimentary ticket. And hey, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing a bunch of people out there. Um, you know, it can kind of house thousands. So if you want to uh, want to see me on stage. Um, you know what? I will be talking about real estate, investment real estate, and so many things going on. And speaking of, so here's the real big announcement. You heard me talk about it last weekend. Thought I'd just reiterate what we are doing here in studio. That's right. Coming up on Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. Join me here in the studio for our simple seminar webinar where I'm going to be giving away not one, but two down payments on an investment property in our newest release. That's right, the full down payment on an investment property. Now, we're gonna award one here in studio. We house about 150 in our seminar room. And then of course on the webinar, you gotta be there and we gotta know that you are logged in because that's how the other winner will be found. And I'm really excited about this. I've never done it before. It's a one in a lifetime chance. I'm not gonna do it again, that I can tell you. But we decided that, you know what, we need to open it up. We need to give somebody an experience. And why not do it, uh, you know, for the people that, you know, have been part of our program and uh, or if not want to be part of our program. So I'm looking forward to that. But you got to go to the simpleinvestor.com. We'll read the rules and regulations so you know what's going on. And again, this is going to be a big, big day for us and possibly for you. So make sure you do register. And so without any further ado, uh, Dave's been sitting here patiently as I've gone off about what we're doing. Dave, what do you think about that, by the way? <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I mean, I don't... I've, you going to be here? <laughs> first of all, is it being really state? Like, you guys are giving away down payment. Like, this isn't like we're giving away $1,000. No, this is... We're, no. There's going to be four zeros here. Oh, okay. It's, you know what? So so the, the unit that it's going to... So our one-bedroom release at 284.9, you're getting 20% of the 284.9 so yeah, pretty cool uh, you're 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 giving away Aiken to like a, a mini lottery here I mean let's be realistic yep. so that's actually very cool yeah yeah and uh, and of course folks if you're gonna need uh, any kind of financing of course Dave is our guy to talk about mortgages and Dave you know what we gotta we gotta start talking about what the heck is going on in the marketplace you know, and it's funny because you were on the talk triangle with Tim and I last week. And, the, you know, the interesting thing, of course, is that now, you know, people are like, the doomsayers are popping out saying, oh, no, you know, the market's going to crash. I, you know, every single week I hear this stuff. And, you know, you and I both know it's like we still have to take a look at the reality of the market just because 
you have a few more uh, properties come on the market. If they don't sell, it doesn't mean that the price drops. Yeah, I mean, uh, it. Well, we 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 did talk about that. You know, we're we are getting into that true seasonality. You know, when you are in a regular market, I'm not talking about 2020 or 2021 to an extent. You know, because those the seasonality was gone in those years. It was just insanity throughout. There was no like, oh, August is busy, September is not. It was just all the time. So we are getting into that seasonality. And I think certainly for those bears, you know, we'll call them the real estate bears, the loud bears um, that are always saying everything's <laughs> going to crash, right? Um, we're just going into regular seasonality. Now, certainly, you know, it's seasonality where interest rates are certainly not at the point where I think most Canadians would want. And we're also in this interesting part where more and more and more Canadians these days understand about inflation and about your bond yields. So when you see movement in them, it's exasperated by the fact that you've now got all these loud real estate bears and even to some extent, just regular social media people, you know, homeowners, let's say here in Canada that are now one, this is now a topic of conversation, something that I always thought I was the nerd because I liked talking about bond yields, but now apparently everyone else has joined the crowd, which is totally cool. Welcome onto the train, the bond yield and the CPI train. <laughs> Yeah, you know, as you say that, I think that's because they've been listening to you for years, Dave. And they're going, he knows something, doesn't he? And and you know, here here's the thing. So the birdcage liner, the Toronto Star, um, comes out with some real real doozy sometimes. And, and you know, here they go. Toronto real estate has suddenly shifted into an official buyer's market. Um, and and then it says, and when will the prices drop next? Okay, guys, you know, this is where I struggle with this because. You know, for about two and a half years, zero inventory, like zero, zero, zero inventory. If something came out in the market, multiple offers, boom, right? But when we go back and, you know, I'm going to date myself. When I was in the 90s, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, even when 2009 and eight happened in the U.S., you know what? We had standard inventory amount. And really what's listed today for the number of homes in the market, for the population, we're kind of normal again. And yep. yet everybody turns around. It's sort of it's sort of like when you and I talk about interest rates, right? So, you know, everybody thinks that a norm should be two and a half percent. And it's like, are you crazy? Just because you had it once doesn't mean that that's a norm. Yep. And, you know, we got lulled into this position over the last few years. We got lulled into low interest rates where, you know, if you take averages, you know, four or four and a half percent, that's still a decent interest rate. Well, inventory, if we're sitting with, you know, in, in, in a... GTA area of the greater Toronto area, which is in the millions, if you happen to have 30 or 40,000 uh, homes listed, well, that's not a huge number. No, it's not. And I mean, let's also look at the reciprocal action here of what happens if interest rates do start to creep down at some point in 2024. What do we think is going to happen to that already low inventory number? It's going to fly because you're going to have a lot of people that have been waiting. I was, I was having a conversation with actually a big bank rep today, and we were talking about and kind of, you know, noticing the coiling of the market, right? You have a lot of demand here, right? But ultimately because of affordability, because of stress tests, where you have to stress test someone at 9% with a major bank, these people are not able to pull the trigger, but their finger is on it. The gun is in their hand, you know, proverbially speaking. Um, it's ready to go once their target is in sight. So I think to your point, sure. I mean, you can, listen, we're about to go into a spot where you, when I think we talked about this last year, 
there's going to be a bunch of negative headlines coming up probably over the next three, four, five months. And these are going to be very, very negative headlines you're going to see all across mainstream media talking about how Toronto real estate, GTA real estate is down essentially as soon as you get a little bit of price compression, right? And say maybe November, December, January, they're going to be all over it. So it's going to be big news, but you have to look at it, not just, you know, real estate is not something you look at in a four month window. We want to look at this in an overall large picture. And to me, it does, it does reek of potential opportunity. But again, we need to see those interest rates come back or, or stress test or amortization, something. We need something. Yeah, but we've also got to look behind the curtains on some of these headlights, right? Because again, you know, let, let, let's go back to the, the, the rag bags with some, of the, with some <laughs> of these topics. You know, Canada is building fewer homes today than during the 2020 lockdowns. And they say, and the worst is yet to come. So, you know, that that's that ominous. Okay, but we're talking about building. So, which means that, you know, the government came out, like uh, the provincial government came out this week and said, we're going to build 1.5 million homes. Okay, good luck with that. And how long is that going to take? And then, of course, the federal government turns around and does the same thing. Oh, no, we need this. And then all of a sudden CMHC comes out and says, we need 5 million. And yet Toronto Housing Construction is 10 years behind. So, you know, a lot of people know that I keep beating the same same bandwagon that when we talk about inventory, if if Dave, if if you have twenty house twenty thousand homes up for resale, okay, how many homes did we add to the mix? Exactly zero. Yep, right. We added zero, and this is where when people sit there and say, "Yeah, but twenty thousand homes sold," but it's inventory, it's existing inventory. We need five million new builds we don't need like so when people talk about that and, and of course people say oh well there's not as there's not gonna be enough buyers really they open the floodgates <laughs> to two million this year yeah i mean i think we, we we know why if there is a creeping up of the inventory there is something we can actually point at which is simply just interest rates it's different if you're in a situation where interest rates are normalized right and you're seeing this inventory pack up i would definitely there would be some red flags there being like whoa whoa, whoa what's going on here affordability is okay but yet we're seeing inventory rise that to me is something we need to look deeper on but inventory slightly rising or rising in the environment that we're currently in actually mathematically makes sense right that's how it should be but it's more so again we talk about the reciprocal effect what happens when rates come down even now a little bit what do we think is going to happen if rates were to come down even just by one percent we've run up so much a one percent drop could have the same effect as four percent going up when i'm talking about in terms of volume and activity this is where we've gotten to and that's always because of our supply demand imbalance that we are currently sitting at yeah and i and you know what there's no there's no solution there you know the federal government did weigh in that they're going to start throwing like 20 billion into the coffers for some construction financing but you know what as good as that sounds the existing government will not have to pay the piper because they're not going to be in power long enough for to spend that money <laughs> i mean let's be real like we know we, you and i both know it takes a lot longer than just a couple months to start building yeah. And I mean, to your point, it would be, you know, it, when you when you look at whether it's a newly called election, you know, or it's the schedule one that may happen in 2025, it does certainly at least the wind feels like there may be a changing of the guard or at least people are wanting to see that. I think we've I think personally, obviously, I'm speaking for myself, but uh, with this current government and some of the promises that they've made and they weren't able to keep um 
I'm definitely looking at uh, seeing if we can get someone else to make some choices here. Yeah, and that in a dollar fifty, you can get a Tim Hortons coffee. <laughs> Anyways, listen, Dave, great having you on. Thanks so much for taking the time and popping into the studio, um, folks. Of course, you can catch Dave here pretty regularly with me, and he will be back for the Real Estate Talk Triangle later in the month. And uh, coming up after the break, I've got Richard Lyle joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after that. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest uh, joining me, he's, he's no stranger to the show. I've had Richard Lyle on with me before. By the way, he is the president of ResCon. And ResCon, by the way, is the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. Uh, has represented the, re uh, the construction industry in Ontario since 91 so again, huge amount of experience, really fortunate to have him join us. Uh, he's also a speaker, source quoted by a lot of the media, by the way. You can catch his columns in the Toronto Sun, Canadian Real Estate Wealth, Stories, Daily Commercial News, um, and honored with 2019 Canadian Lifetime Volunteer Award from the International Foundation of Employee Benefits Plan. And uh, Richard, great to have you back on the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, uh, you and I haven't spoken in a little while, but I'll tell you, boy, has there ever been a shakeup in the world since we last talked? So many things going on. You know, you and I can talk yeah. about interest rates, construction. Uh, let's start off by probably one of the biggest issues that we are facing as Canadians right now, mass immigration, which is forcing a huge shortage in real estate itself. Yes. Well, you know, the immigration story is very interesting because uh, no one's ever, I haven't certainly, and I don't know anybody who has, has actually seen the analysis and research behind that, uh, if it exists, on why the numbers are the numbers. We knew, we know that, you know, the, the 1.5 million targets set by the government and accepted by all political parties in Ontario was actually set before immigration numbers were increased again. Now, you know, we do need immigration because we're not replacing ourselves and we have an aging population, so we do have that challenge. Uh, but there were a few other things that have been thrown in the mix here, too. For example, you know, the student story, right? Tripling of foreign students in a very short period of time without regard to housing. Uh, we know the long-term care story. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we've got some other issues uh, uh, with respect to the fact that you know, there's a million more people here than we knew about. Like, how do you do that, right? <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure. You know, I reported on that. And, and when you say it, it just kind of makes me laugh. I'm thinking what calculator they must have. I mean, they, maybe they're using the old the old beads that they used to do for accounting. But, you know, when 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 you bring up those numbers, you know, and, and even we still don't have full clarity. I mean, there are reports that we could be looking at like 2 million more Canadians in the country within the year that would actually be reported, right. meaning if they, right. if they dive into it. So, you know, Richard, let's talk about, you know, obviously uh, the, the biggest issue is, uh, you know, housing of these people. And you, yep. you did, you did throw out the, you know, it was funny the other night on TV, I saw that the, the Ontario is going to build 1.5 million homes. Um, you right. and I both know when you set an expectation like that, people don't really realize how long that can take. And this year in Canada, um, you know, as far as residential properties, you know, both condo and houses, you know, we're maybe going to complete, if we're lucky, 220,000. So that 1.5 target for, for, for Ontario, that's a pretty lofty target without the, the infrastructure or the ability to actually have the laborers do that work. Yes. Oh, absolutely, indeed. And, uh, you know, people have asked me, can can the industry do that? 
And I, I likened it to a you know baseball analogy. Yeah, sure, if we can pitch a perfect game, and I'll leave you to figure out what the percentage is, percentage chance of that happening. And, uh, you know, because there's no stone that hasn't been unturned here. Everything is in play. Uh, the world is quite roiled when it comes to housing. The sad thing is it's not something new, but there's virtually no aspect of housing that hasn't been touched uh, by where we're at now. We saw this coming. I mean, we raised issues back when the Greenbelt and the Growth Plan were first introduced. And of course, you know, fine, we like Greenbelts. Uh, the Growth Plan is another matter. I mean, that was a pretty much a, a, a fail, right? Uh, when you think about the data and, you know, immigration numbers, things like that, but also relative to infrastructure, uh, et cetera, because, we, you know, we were saying, well, we need more housing and we don't have enough of certain kinds of housing, like purpose-built rental housing, which is incredibly important, especially in a gig economy where, where you theoretically should have uh, likely might have more labor mobility. Certainly that's what some of the data shows. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and we've diverged badly from the United States, you know, from the time in number 08, 09, during the financial crisis, we were the, we were the superstars yeah. and now, now we're the dogs, you know, we're, we're last, uh, amongst the OECD, uh, on, uh, getting things approved and getting things moving. We've got our debt levels are right off the charts per capita debt. Uh, real incomes and median incomes, if you look at those numbers, they're, you know, they're pretty disturbing. So, you know, we have a massive challenge here and it is a real crisis. You know, homelessness numbers have been going through the roof and there are estimates that those homelessness numbers are only based on people that actually show up at shelters. So there's some estimates that say the real number is three times that. And it's not getting any better. And, you know, we're, our starts are actually falling. And one of the reasons there is taxes, but I, I we can we can talk about that too if you like. <laughs> yeah, we will. You know, and and again for you and I, there's a lot to unfold here. So you know, back to the, yeah. the to immigration and the actual builds. So when we talk about builds, you know, you're part of the building industry, and as you know, we've got an aging demographic for a lot of our trades, and we're not replacing the trades as fast as they're going to retire over the next you know decade, to the point where we could run thirty. 40% shortage in trades themselves. And yet our demand yep. for, for even if we were to try to keep pace right now, you know, um, a lot of reports, CMHC even came out with a report that said, we need to build 5 million houses in the next 10 years. So, yeah. you know, when yep. you and I crunch the numbers, you know, that means a minimum, you know, let's say 500,000. I mean, you know, we're, we're barely achieving 200. The idea, yep. and, and and it's so amazing how politicians, you know, how they how they phrase it because they're going, we're going to, we are going to build 1.5. Look at, you know what, you know, God bless them. They're going to try hard to, to 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 say something, but the reality is, it's impossible to actually deliver. And this is this is where you know you being part of the industry. I mean, you must be seeing this shift. I mean, there's a lot of builders right now. They're getting worried because they're not going to replace their trades as fast as they're going to be retiring. Yeah. So, I mean, that that is another kind of fail, if I can put it that way. I, I don't like to use the word fail. I, I don't like losing, you know, never did. Uh, but, you know, the fact is, is that we have uh, failed in um, at creating a system, an education system 
and a and the pathways through to the skilled trades. And there were a myriad of excuses. Oh, parents didn't like it, or the kids don't want to work hard, and stuff like that. And it's all you know. Most of that, enough of that, was baloney as far as I was concerned, because I turn around to people and say, "Okay, what percentage of parents don't like it, and what what percentage of kids don't want to do it?" And I get a number, and I'd go, "Well, there, there's enough there for us. I mean, that's fine." And you know, the fact is, in our education system, we've got the ability and the technology to do this to assess kids at a young age what they're how they learn and what they're interested in. And we should be exposing them to skilled trades careers in public schools because that's where kids make their decisions about what they're going to do with their lives. By the, by the time you get to high school, it's almost too late. Well, it's, uh, it's funny you mention you know, that because in grade yeah. school, when I, I remember going to grade six shop, and, uh, you know, that's where, that's when you start first working with your first saws, drills and everything else. And, you know, yeah. it was fun. It was the, it was the best class that I had in grade six was to be able to play in the shop. And then, you know, from there, I, you know, I, I, I did become a contractor, but it's kind of funny. It's like one of those situations where I, I agree with you, you know, we got to get it introduced, see if it, it's tangible, hands on, you know, um, it's, it's very gratifying when you build something. Well, and you know, we've had, uh, I was asked by uh, um, a senior Mandarin in the federal government that works in Europe representing Canada, and he said, the Germans are puzzled. And I said, and he said, I can't, I don't have an answer for them. Can you explain it to me? Because I was over there, right? Right. And and not not for training purposes, but anyways, they, they want to know why these Canadians keep coming over year after year to find out how they do it right. And then they go away from these organizations. And then next year, there's another group from the same organization. And it's like Groundhog Day. And he said, why is that happening? And I said, because it's a nice junket, you know, <laughs> not really changing much at home. Yeah. But, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, we need a system for skilled trades like we have, you know, like in Ontario, for example, is the OCAS system, the Ontario College Administration, blah, blah. Right. It's it's a smooth process. You know, if a kid wants to go to university or college and, you know, they they can find the pathway, they can find the schools that do this stuff. And, you know, they're away to the races, not for skilled trades. It's still uh, and and there are solutions to that. Uh, we can get into that if you want to. But so what I, uh, I'm going to have you hold that thought because we do okay, have to go to a quick it. break. But folks, when we come back, I've got more with Richard Lasso. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, so my guest this hour, I've got the president of Rescom. That's the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. I've got Richard Lyle joining me. And Richard's been on the show before. And, you know, if you miss part of the show, make sure you go back and listen to it. Uh, Richard, just before the break, you and I are having a great conversation. We're talking about, obviously, the trades because, you know, we're running with a huge deficit when it comes down to housing. You know, it's interesting um, part of the media when they play up, you know, the, the actual housing market today and... You know, whenever I see these reports, they keep saying, oh, there's a lot of houses on the market for sale, right? And my problem and struggle with that is, folks, it's not adding houses into the mix. Like, you know, there's still a, you know, there's still people that if somebody's selling a house and lives there and somebody moves into it, we're not adding another house to the actual market itself. It's just a switch of ownership. And Richard, you know, this is one of the things that I think the public, you know, with the media, they just get this misperception where it's like, well, there's 40,000 houses listed for sale, so we must not we must not need housing. And it's like, yeah, but people are living there. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you know, like our 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 growth planning, our growth management planning has by and large been a fail, especially when it comes to housing. I mean, we've had issues with infrastructure. We've had more success 
with dealing with some of the infrastructure problems uh, by generating research that we've paid for and so on. Uh, but when you get to housing, you know, housing is a funny thing, right? It's it's seemingly simple. It's a home. It's shelter. Like what what's complicated about that? Well, it's probably the most complicated industry. I mean, the only thing I can think of that compares to it would be aviation and maybe pharmaceuticals. But, you know, we've got 45 different government agencies that are involved in, in the approvals process, for example. And you got three levels of government and uh, and on it goes. So, you know, we don't have enough people within the system systemically that actually understand housing. And in fact, you know, we've got a lot of policymakers and so on that actually they don't just not understand housing economics. So they don't understand market economics. And this is a market economy. And and housing is so big, it's not something the government can take over, run, or whatever. So that's why, you know, when I see these statements that we're going to ensure there's an adequate supply of housing, I've always gagged on that once. <laughs> you know, get over yourself, right? You can't do that. And, you know, 90% of housing is private sector, as it should be. The problem we have is it's just jammed and gummed up with red tape and rules, and they've gotten more, uh, they've grown over time, and they've gotten more complicated, and the costs, and each of these little growth areas that have evolved over time, because remember, housing is, a much, housing is much more complicated than it was 30 years ago, and certainly more than 60 years ago. Sure. And now it takes longer, there's more costs and fees, and so on. So when you actually look at the cost of building a home versus all the other stuff, well, you know, you get the picture there. And then when you look at taxes, and we did the study on this, we, you know, I drove this because I said, how much money, if someone's buying a new home or a condo, how much money are they paying in taxes for this thing, right? Does anybody really know? Because you got three levels of government that are all, they're all over it. They're, you know, they're, sure. it's like a feeding frenzy in the last 10, 20 years. Well, it turns out the number's 31%. So a million dollars worth of new real estate People are paying 310000 in taxes, fees, and levies. And housing is, it's like food. It's a need. This isn't some optional thing. You know, do I get the, you know, the new car or not or something like that or just drive the old one for longer? No, you need a place to live. And yet we tax it like, a, it's, we treat it like a sin tax. We tax housing like we tax boobs, which is nuts. <laughs> And and when you think about the fact that it is the biggest thing that people spend money on in their lives, and the most important thing, because it, it ties into healthcare, it ties into educational outcomes. You know, there's we know that you know substandard occupancies, you're going to have a higher reliance on emergency room services, which is which are hyper expensive. So the state, you know, uh, which was involved, dropped the ball badly a long time ago, and then added problems to the whole system and yet the industry you know it's the it's the industry that got blamed for it right we often get tagged with this stuff and we're going hey we're, we're playing by your rule book we're not making up the rules we don't get to make up the rules yeah. although yeah and, we'd like to and here's the thing you know we've got we've got you know government saying it's not their problem you know we had the federal government we had the prime minister turn around and basically said housing is not a a federal mandate concern kind of thing and and when when I heard that I, I just I, I I thought to myself and you can say that with a straight face and then, you know, two months later about a, a week and a half ago announced that they're going to throw out twenty billion dollars in low interest loans for construction, and and yet, you know, we keep getting them. You know, they're 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 driving the wedge between as you mentioned the um, the 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 public the private industry when we talk about building. 
And then even a little bit further is even the individual private landlord, they are actually trying to target them. And if we don't have the private landlords, as you had mentioned earlier in the show, we were talking about, you know, the need, the necessity for purpose-built, you know, uh, rentals. And there is such a missing middle there. What did pick up a little bit of the slack was the individual landlord who would buy that, you know, one bedroom condo, say, I'm going to make it an investment property and rent it out. So, you know, you know, housing is a necessity. A roof over your head all the time is a necessity. Look, you can go get an iPhone and it'll open up your, your house. But the problem is you need a house to have it open up. And this is, this is one of the biggest things. So the government turning around and denying that it's their responsibility and then all of a sudden now trying to gain votes by saying, oh, we're going to put out some low interest loans because a bunch of builders said, well, we're going to freeze right now because the cost of construction is too high. Yep, yep. No, it, you know, there's a myriad of problems there. And when we were looking at the housing prices, we looked at all three levels of government and the, and the things that all three levels of government need to do. So, for example, you take the federal level, the HST. Well, you know, that was always supposed to have been intended to just touch the most expensive housing. And it was supposed to have been adjusted for inflation every two years. Never happened. So, you know, we pointed out with our study, and a lot of people didn't know this, that every year the federal government was raking in billions of dollars from the new housing industry, and they weren't putting anything back. Their contribution to infrastructure is only at 7%, for example, the supporting infrastructure. But they weren't putting back much into housing. CMHC became more, you know, I like CMHC, but they started to operate like a private business, you know, which which is good. I, there's nothing wrong with that, but hey, you're supposed to be there to play more of a role than you're playing. So I actually liked the $20 billion announcement was good. So I thought that was good. And some of their, some of their analytics now and research, you know, is, is quite good, and, and I appreciate that. You get to the provincial level. Okay, so you got Ontario. They had four very good bills sort of chewing away at the edges of this thing, and they did some very important stuff. Of course, they had the, you know, the unfortunate gong show of that, uh, that old green belt thing. But, <laughs> Which but, we're going to we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Put so that aside you, for now. Yeah, we're going to put that. And the provinces get to do more, right? Uh, they will do more and they need to do more because we need to really open up the market and let the market work. That's what this is all about. And then the municipalities, you know, the approvals process, which has gotten worse and worse and worse. Not with every, you know, some municipalities are hitting it out of the park. I got to say that, right? There's some really good municipalities, but we've got some big problems and we've got municipalities, you know, this is another big problem where, you know, just because you say at the top, oh, we're going to do it faster and we're going to change or whatever, you got to get that down to the lower gun decks or nothing's going to happen. And and we've seen that happening too, where, you know, we're actually dealing with growing problems in certain areas and continued problems in the approvals process. And we've got, We've got government agencies and organizations and so on that that are still seeking to increase costs. And we're going, are you not reading the paper? <laughs> uh, well, forget the paper. Yeah, read the room. I don't know whatever. I'm going my age there, but. Yeah, you know, read, read the room. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's, you know, that's an important, uh, important point that you made that, you know, as, as we trickle it down and a lot of, you know, a lot of our listeners should understand that, you know, municipalities really are the ones who control the shovel in the ground. Like, again, there's incentives, there's everything that, you know, backs it up. The federal government has definitely dismissed themselves of any responsibility in most cases when we talk about housing folks. But when we take a look at the big, big picture, you know, it's the municipalities that really, they're the ones who have to get the red tape out of the way 
you know, there are some exceptions that are being made. Um, as Richard had mentioned, also, there's a couple of things that there are a few municipalities that are actually really forging ahead. And the provincial government actually turned around and throw a little bit of a lottery saying, look, the faster you produce things, I'm going to be sending a little bit more money your way. So you would think that this would give people incentive. And yet sometimes, you know, these guys get in their way. And that's that's why we have to also be very mindful. You know, you talk to your MPs, MPPs, but, you know, you, you have to put some pressure. And the idea of not in your own backyard is not a solution that I can promise you. So. By the way, I'm going to have Richard stay put because we definitely want to talk about the Green Belt debacle. You know, it's definitely like a gong show. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So I've been really fortunate to have uh, for the last uh, last half hour with me, Richard Lyle. And by the way, he is the president of ResCon, Residential Construction Council of Ontario. Um, Richard, before we before we continue our conversation, just wanted to throw out that you've got an online housing summit coming up on October 12th. Tell our listeners about that. Yeah. So what we did, we, we started this a couple of years ago. We started with the first summit, then we had 2.0. We got 3.0 coming up. It's free, no charge. We've got some phenomenal speakers. It's on October 12th. You just have to go to rescon.com and uh, you can register. Um, uh, and what it is is that we, we when we really started to bite down on this, we realized that we needed to have a, a regular event to sort of say, okay, where are we at now? What progress has been made relative to the numbers? And so that's why we decided to do this. And you know, we're going to have Mayor Chow on. Uh, she'll be speaking. Uh, the premier, uh, um, uh, virtually, of course. It's it's a virtual event. I should I should say that to everybody. And uh, and then we've got various various looks at the market, construction costs, uh, where things are going. Uh, we're going to be talking about modular housing, innovation. You know, things like that. And it's all packed into it about a five hour session, so it's it's very efficient. Yeah. And you and you can I think. It's going to be recorded, so you can, if you're registered, you can watch some things later. Yeah, excellent. So, um, so let's 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 you know rip off the bandaid off the the the, the gong show that you and I were talking about, <laughs> you know, the green belt. And so, um, you know, all of a sudden, so the so Ford government turns around, and initiates the idea that we're going to use some what what and 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 I have to be careful how I say this because folks, when we talk about green belt, you know, some of it's newly registered, some of it's been there for a long time. And when I say registered greenbelt does not necessarily depict that it is true floodplain or proper greenbelt, but that said, he kind of went around the entire system, released a whole bunch, and then he turned around, you know, definitely, you know, <laughs> they do an inquiry and he got his hand caught in the Chippehoy cookie jar. And sure enough, he had to pull it back out, pulled all the greenbelt back off. I can tell you he pissed off a whole lot of people in the building industry. There was a no-win situation here for him, you know. And uh, Richard, I really need to know your take on all of this and how it ha how it went down. You know, uh, well, look, let, let's face it. It was a gone show and um, un unfortunate. And one of the big problems is, is that it was a huge distraction. I mean, we've got very, very serious issues. Uh, more immediate issues to deal with uh, relative to housing at all levels of government. Um, so it was unfortunate that way. I, I don't believe the premier intended it to go this way, obviously. I think it might have been one of those situations where he said, we're going to make this happen. Okay, let's do this over here. And some people ran off to do it. And then 
you know, it was one of those class. I think it looked kind of, it looks kind of like one of those classic situations where, you know, who's got the wheel and, you know, and nobody did. And, and maybe some people uh, were left to their own worst devices. And, and the next thing you know, there's a mess on their hands. And of course, you know, governments don't like to admit that. Yeah, it was a gone show, right? So they kind of resisted that. But ultimately, they had to do what we thought they were going to have to do, which is put it back in, because, you know, that dog wasn't going to hunt, right? And But the bigger problem is, though, that green belts were not intended to be sacrosanct religious uh, areas, right? As you pointed out, uh, you know, there are, there are various elements to them, and that's why you know, it was supposed to be a regular review. And in fact, the liberals themselves, when they were in power, made some changes to it. Uh, and uh, and there's good reasons for that, because, you know, there are places in the Greenbelt that could and should be built on, I, I, I believe. And we're seeing examples of where this is happening in other Greenbelts where, you know, kind of they overshoot and then they got to back up. And like in London, England, for example, the land of the original Greenbelt around London, what happened there was the uh, the head of the Labor Party came out and said, we're the party of housing for the working people, and we will build on the Greenbelt where appropriate because, you know, they have their own housing crisis. So uh, the thing I find disturbing is not that unfortunate series of events that recently occurred was this notion that now we're going to make this sacrosanct, can't touch it. Yeah, and, that's yeah. that's that's going to be problematic. Yeah. You and I both know because now yeah. now that land is even going to have a hezi- heavier designation. In fact, yeah. nobody's even going to consider. And, and you mentioned there's some of it that should be or could be developed. And yeah. now all of a sudden, it's going to be it's it's going to be such a hands off approach now. And here's one of my concerns, and I brought it to you, brought brought it up to you off air was the fact now we had all these developers that were gearing up, started doing their planning and the idea that what they would you know move forward with. And regardless of what our listeners view is all with some of these builders, we have to understand that they were going to be bringing inventory into play. Profit, no profit, that's irrelevant. The, the point is, is that we know we need inventory. And now, Richard, one of the biggest problems is I don't think, or I, I, I'm pretty sure, the majority of these builders will not trust anything coming out of this government or a future government's mouth when it comes down to you know awarding and letting them develop. Yeah, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right on that. These these measures and steps have to be taken very carefully because the industry is all about risk. That's the four letter word in our industry. Right, because people risk capital, risk money, and there's people that think, "Oh, well, developers don't ever lose money, builders don't lose money." I can remember when I first came into the industry, which was in '91, as you pointed out. Uh, you know, in a couple of years, half of our board of directors was gone, bankruptcies. Uh, the industry didn't recover for 13 years. Uh, it it was just a slaughterhouse, and and that can happen. Now we've had a long, more or less, a pretty good bull run. Hardly fueled by cheap money, very dangerous, right? Because now we're in a different set of circumstances. That's all other story. But you know the, um, but back in the day, I mean, when you're building a huge project, you're talking about millions of dollars, and then you have to have millions of dollars in financing. Sometimes billions. I mean, some of these projects are just huge, and you have to really know your numbers. And that's where in the industry they say, "Will it pencil or not? Does it make sense?" And so every little bit counts. People would be amazed at the level of detail that goes into pricing 
projects and so on and so forth to make them work. And of course, that's the problem. You know, people say, why isn't the industry more innovative? And I say, well, by the time you get through our approvals process, you're not trying out anything new. You just want to get that sucker built and get your money out of it. Or if it's a rental, you own it or whatever. Or you might be building it for, you know, a, a co-op or a nonprofit. And, you know, and sometimes you've got contract stipulations that say you got to get it done by this time and at this price. So this is not a game. This is very serious stuff. So you need to have a predictable environment. Excellent. Well, listen, Richard, I want to thank you for joining me today on the show. It's been wonderful having you on, and, and I look forward to having you back a lot sooner than than, than this time. Yeah, and um, and again, one more time for your for your up-and-coming. So free, line, free online housing summit on October the 12th, folks. You can go to ResCon and, and register. And uh, once again, Richard, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Well, it was great to have Richard come back and join me on the show. Great information and definitely one of the you know top pros in the industry. So, um, so you know what? It's amazing how fast an hour does go by. I do want to thank Dave Butler for coming into studio. I do want to thank Richard Lyle for the president of ResCon. And of course, so here I got two major reminders for you this week. Coming up, that's a week today, October 15th at the International Center it's the property show, and I'm going to be on the main stage. I will be speaking there. So if you want tickets and info, go to thepropertyshow.ca. Use your promo code TPS2023 and for your complimentary ticket. And you know what? It's really exciting. Got They've got some great speakers, a bunch of things about investment real estate you don't want to miss out. But of course, the big event that we've got coming up here at The Simple Investor, coming up on Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. If you can't be here in person, make sure you mark your calendar for the webinar. This is where I'm going to be giving not one, but two down payments on our, our most recent event release that we've got. You can't miss out on this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity. I have never done this before. And so we're going to award one in studio. So we, we can house about 150 here. So you get a one in 150 chance to win your down payment for a one bedroom unit, or you can make sure you register and be online with us during the webinar. And you know what? We do have hundreds, but you still have a great opportunity. So go to the simpleinvestor.com to register. Don't miss out. It's a one in a lifetime. I'm not going to be doing it again. And uh, that's it for this week. Uh, I do want to thank my producers. They kept it simple as they always do. I've got uh, Aiden and Omar in the booth. And of course, I want to thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show. Uh, I'll be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.